What if you believed you could achieve any success you want? What would you do differently? What would you think differently? Thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. I'm coming to you from the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. My focus each week is to share with you success tips, insights, and how to do it that help you achieve the results and successes you've always wanted in your business, in your career, and in other areas of your life. Are you ready to uncover the success you've always wanted? Keep listening. I'm going to start off today's podcast by providing you with a quote by George Lorimer. It's good to have money and the things that money can buy, but it's good too to check up once in a while and make sure that you haven't lost the things that money can't buy. End of quote. As many of us know, money cannot buy a success or happiness or love or respect or goodwill from others. I think you're getting the idea. And yet, a lot of us pursue money like it's the end result, the end goal. And the truth of the matter is money can buy us material goods, such as nicer homes, cars, vacations, and things that make us more comfortable. Yet many of us are always seeking more and more and more money. It's like there's never enough. And I believe it's one of the top five desires in life today of things that we must have. And I want you to underline the word must in your thoughts here. Yet we don't treat money with respect when we do have it. So how can we transform our ideas about money and have more of it in our lives and use it in a way that supports who we are? My guest today is Pat Williams. And even though she's been a CPA for 37 years, she's still fascinated about money since we can't do anything without it and most of us don't understand it. She's also in the process of writing a book, which I love this title, How to Get a Hold of Your Money Before Debt Gets a Hold of You. She plans on publishing it this spring. My whole focus and goal today for you as a listener is today's podcast is designed to give us that edge for having 2020 be a financially successful year. In a moment, I'll have Pat introduce herself in 20 words or less. As I've mentioned in my earlier podcast and in my book, It's Time to Brag, it's important to keep your interest short and on point to capture others' attention. Pat, welcome. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you ready for a a fabulous 2020? (laughs) I'm planning on it. For you. So in 20 words or less, who are you? I'm a non-practicing CPA because I don't do taxes and I don't do audits or any of the things people think that accountants do. Instead, I just write continuing education for accountants. And why do you do that? It does two things for me. I love to write and it also makes my time my own. So when you're studying money, and many of us believe that money is the end-all be-all, that is success, and we find ourselves chasing that green stuff, we find it's not making us more successful. It's not making us feel more successful. So why is that? Well, I think for a lot of people, money is really a different kind of goal. They are tracking the money. So for some people, money can be a way to meet a goal, or it can be a way to keep score. So for instance, Forbes puts out a list every year of the 25 billionaires in the world. 
And some people look at that as a pretty big deal. And of course it is. But the majority of us are not going to be on that list. No, I'm not even sure most of us would even want to be on that (laughs) list. (laughs) Because here's the thing. If you've got a lot of something, you also have a responsibility for that something. And I think that's one of the things we lose track of is that money we have also brings with it responsibility and responsibility to use it in a way that helps ourselves and others. Well, and I think that's fascinating because I think you're right. You're, you're not just talking about responsibility like using a QuickBooks or some kind of a spreadsheet or heaven forbid for those people who still use the shoebox method. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you've run into them over the oh, years. Yes. But what you're saying is responsibility for how we think about it, how we treat it. Is that what you're saying? Well, yes. And when we look at money, we have to realize that it's just a means to an end. Money in and of itself is nothing. Uh, If you've got a pile of dollar bills, all you've got is a stack of paper. It's what you can do with those dollar bills that's important. So you can buy food for your family. You can grow your education. You can help people by donating. There's all kinds of things you can do with that dollar. And that's what's important about it. That's a great point. I've I've been seeing on social media a lot more lately than, than usual, where people say, instead of buying those things you really don't need, Mm -hmm. buy experiences. And I actually love that because I mean, isn't that what life's about is to have those experiences that touch our heart, touch our soul, be able uh, for us to be of service to other people. As an example, a friend of mine, I asked her what her Thanksgiving was like. And she said, well, one of the things she did was serve lunches at a church. And I thought, how wonderful. That is. Because she definitely knows how to spend her time and her money. So that brings me to a point for us. We have to decide what's important for us and look at, of course, we've got to use money to to meet our needs. But we also need to use it to meet our wants. And sometimes our wants are what gets out of control. Well, don't they sometimes precede our needs and then we end up debt? Exactly. For too many people, getting what they want means that they put their needs behind. Or it takes second place in the queue of things you're going to do with money. I uh, call it chasing baubles. You know, the shiny little baubles that you really don't need. And if when you had them for a while, you really don't want them. But they looked pretty good at the time. <laughs> well, it reminds me of something that I've heard over, over the decades. A lot of us complain about never having enough time or never having enough money. Mm-hmm. And yet the time is the same for all of us 24-7. And like you just said, there's a lot of wobbles out there or things we think we must have like new shoes or an IPA beer or what have you, and then we don't drink it or we don't wear the shoes. I mean, there's people I hear about that are struggling for money, and yet if you looked in their closet, they have all these clothes with the tags still on them. Oh, yes, yes. I don't know about you, but uh, 
the ARC has me on speed dial because I'm always cleaning out closets and getting rid of stuff. <laughs> so ARC, so ARC for our listeners is the ARC thrift shop is what you're talking about? Yeah, the, okay. uh, it's a neat place mm -hmm. and it helps a lot of people like me getting my closet cleaned out. It's a big help for to you. me to know that it's going you. someplace. <laughs> and they simply say, is this Pat? Yes. <laughs> You're at? Yes. The stuff will be on the porch? Yes. They, they have a checklist for me. <laughs> That's great. Isn't that the saying is one person's, I hate to use the word garbage, but I think that's part of the quote is one person's garbage is somebody else's treasure. Yes, yes. And think about eBay. There's a business that's built. <laughs> exactly. That was a brilliantly built one, though. <laughs> <laughs> Want to get rid of your stuff? <laughs> come, come here and sell it. <laughs> and right, I know there's exactly. other sites like that have, that have been popping up as well. And in fact, they have a marketplace on Facebook. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You can go sell anything you want there as well. Uh, I saw an interview with the woman who was head of eBay at a time, one time. And she said somebody came in and told her that people were selling their cars on eBay. And she said, we don't do that. And he says, oh, yeah, we do, because they're putting it under miscellaneous. So that's when they started <laughs> the topic. <laughs> you know what? Them. <laughs> I always have the saying, if there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> so, exactly. Good for them. Good for them. Why does money get a bad rap? Well, why, because... Why is that? I can think of several reasons. One of them is... People get all biblical on you and say, you know, in the Bible, it says the love of money is money is evil. And it doesn't say that at all. It says the love of money is your is evil. In other words, your love, it's the love that's wrong, not what you're loving. So you could substitute money for a whole lot of things after I've eaten a lot of chocolate, probably my love of chocolate is not a good thing. <laughs> what you're saying is the, the love of, there's nothing wrong with loving money. The problem or the challenges is we love it at the expense of. Exactly. And, exactly. and I've seen this happen in families throughout the world, mm -hmm. is that the money is more important than their relationships with others, particularly in a family unit have ever worked in a state, you know, state probate, those kind of situations. Mm -hmm. And the stories are here where there's all this controversy over the money. And I remember one time a woman and her brother, their parents had passed and all they did was just sit down together and say, our relationship is more important than the money. So what is it that you want? And then they divided it. They were done. Yes. And they still have a great relationship today. And it's been 15 years later. I think that's important, don't you? Oh, yes. Because you have to, as you said, you have to figure out what's important to you. And for so many of us, other people are making that decision. So, for instance, the reason there are so many temptations to go for those shiny baubles is think about advertising. Mm, yes. Uh, I saw an interview on the news recently uh, about why cars cost so much. And they were looking at all the additions to them that you can't get rid of. You may not want it, but it's on there, which is raising the price. And the salesman said, oh, well, we just put it there 
because that's what our customers want. Well, the customers didn't even know it was there. <laughs> so how did they know they wanted it? <laughs> because we told them. <laughs> yeah, well, we told our clients. You know, think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like that, that hook, you know, where people don't know that they need or want something until they're told that they should need or want yes. something. Exactly. And one of the podcasts I did in December was about values. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we haven't taken the time to get clear about our values, like what's important to us. And so as a result, when we get hooked like that, we fall hook and sinker. Exactly. Exactly. When I was practicing as an accountant and doing taxes, I had this young man come in to end of the tax year. And I told him, since he was a new uh, client, be sure and bring me your bank accounts. And he didn't want to give me his bank account. And I said, well, all I want them for is to see that we've covered all your income and we've deducted everything we can. Well, he told me later that the reason he didn't want to show me, you know, give me his bank accounts was because he didn't want me to know how foolishly he spent his money. Oh, wow. And I thought, wow. <laughs> That's sad because I'm not here judging. I just want to make sure he did his income tax right, you know. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, and I've worked with several different CPAs. Some are amazingly wonderful and others are amazingly critical. So, <laughs> or financial planners. I mean, anyone that has to do with, you know, giving advice for your money. Mm -hmm. So talking, I'm um, going a little bit further because I love the title of your book. How to get a hold of your money before debt gets a hold of you. So how do we get in trouble? Obviously, we, we've already talked about some of the stuff where we're spending things on things we want, not things that we need, or we're spending too much money. We're not willing to do what we need to do, or we're trying to keep up with the Kardashians or somebody like that, and we really don't need to. I remember years ago reading a book about the millionaire next door. And mm -hmm. a lot of times these millionaires, you don't know they're millionaires. They don't live that way. Exactly. They live comfortably, but they don't live extravagantly. Well, in your experience, or maybe in your book, how do we get ourselves out of financial trouble? How do we become successful? And I talk about success, like that feeling within us that we feel successful, regardless of the amount of money that we have. Well, you know, speaking about keeping up with people, that's one of the things to not try to do. I actually live next door to the Joneses. And, you know, the old expression is keeping up with the Jones. Right. Well, these were the hardest working people because they owned a restaurant. They were up at dawn and not home till midnight. They were the quietest neighbors I ever had. Thank goodness. And they were <laughs> successful, but it took hard work. And one of the ways that you can get to be successful is to define it in your own mind. How will I know I'm a success? And here's my list. If I've got three kids that I put them through college and they're happy, I'm a success. If uh, I started my own business and I worked at it and liked it and still love it, I'm a success. But you have to define success for yourself. Find your own passion. As some, one person said, uh, a passion is what gets you out of bed in the morning, even when you don't want to get up. And I think that's key. 
a lot of us think, well, once I find my purpose in life, <laughs> <laughs> then I can be successful and then I can have all this money. And it's like, mm, a lot of times we think there's this one purpose out there and actually purpose is what we do day in and day out. Yes. I remember talking with a, a young woman yesterday. I was out for my walk and I, she has this beautiful dog. He's not trained though. So he's trying to jump on me and he's a big guy and she's, I mean, he could, you know, pull her along very quickly. And I mentioned to her, not out of being critical, but simply out of a purpose of, of helping saying, you know, there's a couple different ideas for you to get your dog trained. And she goes, well, I'd really like to do that. And I said, well, I, I would get it scheduled today. I mean, we just saw what happened. There had been a couple other dogs go by. And if the dog had decided that he wanted to go after those other two dogs, she couldn't have controlled him. Ooh. And, and it was interesting because she was afraid to spend the money. And yet she knew she should. And yet that's also fulfilling a purpose. Like the purpose for me was giving her the idea. And I said, well, hopefully you do it. You could go do it right now. She, and she goes, I will. So there's her purpose in helping support the dog. But our purpose isn't like this one all, end all, be all, right? No. And they'll change over a lifetime. Exactly. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've had several careers. I've been a teacher. I've owned my own business. I've done, you know, lots of different things, which actually I didn't set out to do it. I wound up here simply by becoming interested in other things or changes in my life that led to another goal. So when I got divorced, I was teaching school, middle school, and decided I needed a better paying job. And I had always done things like keeping the books for various <laughs> businesses, my, my, my father's and the one my husband and I had. And so I simply called up my CPA and said, how do you become a CPA? <laughs> and he Good told for me. you. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he told me, I was living in Lubbock, Texas at the time, was the home of Texas Tech. And I went, he told me which professors to take and made me promise that I would interview with his firm when I got out. And I did. And that's how I became a CPA. Good for you. And then look what this has morphed into. <laughs> writing a book. You I'm know? helping other people with money and debt. I love it. It's a whole new purpose. Well, and it did so much, many things for me. As a result, I've been, I've worked for a multinational corporation. I've lived, worked with uh, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, lived in New York City as a result for eight years. Wow. All because one little decision, and that was to change careers. And to change your attitude about money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if only I'd known that when I went to New York, because the money sounded good, but nobody told me that 50% of your income went to taxes in New York. Ooh. Ooh yes. So we read stories about people, or we hear stories on TV about people who've been in hourly jobs for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Yet when they pass away, they leave millions of dollars to a worthy cause. Yes, yes. How did they do that? Well... They make really good decisions. <laughs> so, for instance, <laughs> I, uh, there was a woman, a teacher, who died and left a million dollars to one of the, the universities in Colorado. And she bought A&T back when AT&T was being founded. She bought stock. And she left it alone and never did anything with it. 
she lived simply, but she, I think she was an example of a person who doesn't let other people, didn't let other people make decisions for her. Based know? on what she should want or should yeah, spend well, her yeah, money. Yeah, you know, you own stock, sell, sell, sell. Well, not necessarily. That's great advice for our younger listeners and our older listeners. I think a lot of times we have this idea that we have to live frugally to the point of not taking care of ourselves so that we leave money to our kids or grandkids. Oh, yes, yes. I once knew a woman whose goal was to leave a certain amount of money to each of her grandkids. Well, fortunately, she had a good job and didn't skimp on life, you know, on the things she needed to live on. But somebody else making that goal could have been shrimping on what they were doing for themselves. I think that's important. Again, it keeps circling back to what are our values. And how to use money as a tool and not the end-all, be-all. Exactly. I like that analogy of money as a tool. I don't know about you, but when I go to the Ace Hardware, they have a little place where they have all these tools for a dollar. I probably have more screwdrivers than I will ever use because I like the, you know, you, what you could get for a, a dollar. And they come in handy. At least, at least those kinds of things I really do use. Right. But Sometimes the things we think we want are not really what we want and we're certainly not what we need. Well, and a lot of advertisers out there are very seductive. So, you know, we may not have even thought we needed a particular jacket or sweater or scarf or necktie or what have you. And for whatever reason, advertisers are very good at what they do. That's why they get made the big bucks. (laughs) Or they wouldn't do that job. Exactly. You know, there's two sides to advertising. It's good to know what's out there. It's good to know when sales are going on. But at the same time, you've got to look at a sale. Well, do you really need it? I once saw um, on one of those do-it-yourself TV shows, this family that she, you know, she was very proud of the way she used coupons. So she bought lots and lots of stuff. They didn't have a garage. They had a warehouse. Because they, he had, you know, they had built shelves and they stored all this stuff. And it's stuff they could never use. So you can get carried away saving money. Well, and I've seen people do that. And I've actually had displeasure of having to go through all their canned goods. Oh, Some of that yes. stuff was like over, it was past use for 10 years. Oh, yes. But they bought it because it was on sale. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> What? You bought diapers, but you don't have any kids. Well, it was yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or your kids are all in their 20s and don't need diapers, you know, like whatever. So how can we create financial stability and feel successful? Like instead of focusing on the wants, like I want this, I want more of that, I want something bigger, better, what have you. Mm -hmm. How can we create financial stability? Because I would suggest it starts within us. And and when we start following and honoring that what's within us, we then feel successful, whether or not we have millions of dollars or not. Exactly. I think, first of all, one of the first steps that I think we need to make is to face it. By that, I mean to face what it is that's within yourself that you want and how you're going to fulfill whatever it is you want. A lot of people are in jobs that they don't like because somebody told them they should do that. I get a feed, a news feed daily 
from the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. And there's an article today about what a person can do in the job that doesn't want to be a manager. What if they just want to be the basic person that does the work? And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And that's nothing. In fact, that's the backbone of a lot of companies. If those people that like that job didn't stay there, what would the rest of you do? <laughs> you exactly. And unfortunately, and this is shame on many companies, in order to make more money, you have to take on being a boss. Yes. A lot of people out there have absolutely no business becoming a boss. They do not like managing people. They have no interest in learning how to manage people beyond the basics, necessities of, of getting their job done. Exactly. And they may really enjoy their job. The best professor I ever had when I was getting my undergrad degree was a man who had been with a big university. He had been the head of the dean and he left and was teaching at in Greeley because that's what he wanted. That's what he liked. He liked being a teacher. He was fantastic. He always appointed one kid to tell him where he left off at last class and he'd just start lecturing. It was all in his mind. He was fantastic. And he, he was, was probably very happy. And he was a happy, happy person. Yep. And his classes were fantastic. And, and the gift that that was to all of his students. Oh, yes, yes. I took every, well, I was a social studies major. So I took every class, every history class he taught. Even got permission to take his graduate classes. Oh, my goodness. But he was doing what he loved to do. And so would you say that's probably the number one thing here the, to create financial stability is actually being a job that you actually love, that you actually have the skills. I call it job fit. You actually fit the job. Exactly. And at the same time, the job may not get you your actual goal. Worked with a, a man when I was living in New York City that had been a banker. And I didn't realize that because he was simply the guy that kept track of our inventory. He would come and say, okay, you, you, you know, we're out of such and such a program, so you want me to get some more printed? And I'd say yes or no. Found out later that he was working there because he didn't like being a banker. He wanted to be an artist. So he worked on weeks, on the weekdays to support himself and painted every weekend. Good for him. So he used money and a tool to get to where he wanted to be, and that was as an artist. We're seeing a lot of that today with the side hustlers, the entrepreneurs, gig <laughs> economy. Yeah. But I also think these people are fabulous. I, I just love the whole idea of it, the innovation of it. And yet that may or may not bring you money, but you still need to work such that you're bringing in money. Right. So moving on to number two, what would you say is the second most important thing that we need to focus on in creating financial stability? So the first one is really love our job. And if we don't, find out why and get unstuck. Exactly. And the number second, two. The second thing I would say is to plan. Once you've faced it, then plan for it. Because you've heard of people who just threw up everything and went on the road, or for instance. Well, it's like starting on a road trip without a map or today GPS. But as you plan, you can figure out what you need. You'll find out what tools you need. Money will be part of it. Money will lead you to the other pieces you need. For instance, when I decided I wanted to be an accountant, 
I had to decide how I was going to get there, how I was going to get the education I needed, and how I was going to get the job. So naturally, I had to pay tuition, but I also got a job as a teaching assistant. There was the plan, part of the plan. Well, and then it's fulfilling that plan, whether you feel like it that day or not. It's exactly keeping in the, keeping in the front and back of your mind the goal, <laughs> the purpose. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, why, why am I taking a course on taxes? Yuck. Well, that's what it takes to be a CPA. <laughs> that's where the, the cake is. Your day-to-day stuff is your bread and butter, but if you want cake, you better do taxes. <laughs> to be a CPA, correct. Yes. <laughs> So what's number three? Once you get the plan, then you act. Because some people just plan, 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 decide, decide, decide. And but they never forget to plan and they just act. They just just, uh, act on this passion I think I have until I don't think I have it anymore. Yes, yes. If you've got the plan, you can go into action, but you have to keep your eye on that plan. For instance, There's all kinds of courses I could have taken, but that wasn't going to get me to my goal, which was to become a CPA by keeping my eye on, okay, I'm taking cost accounting because I need cost accounting to get the license, you know, pass the exam and get the license. A corollary to the word act would be focus. Focus. Stay focused. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. And sometimes you're going to have to do the work. You may not like taxes, but guess what? Hire a tutor if you need to, but get through it. I want to really thank you, Pat, because you've given a much more hands-on approach to money and how to think about it. Because too often money can be one of those tricky subjects. Not only you have conversation with other people, but to have one with yourself. I believe today's information on our attitude about money and how to focus, plan, and act will help each and every one of us do a better job in 2020 of thinking more about where do we want to be at the end of the year? Where is that going to take us in the years to come? And so thank you, Pat. You've been an amazing gift. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I want to say thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Seibley. It's your time for success. Tune in next week for more insights on how to achieve the success you've always wanted with my straight talk for dynamic results. Until next week, enjoy a successful week.